this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. So if you want to join me in the book of Exodus, we're continuing our sermon series called The Way Forward. And tonight we're talking about the path to life, the path to life. And where we are so far in this journey through Exodus is, is God's people in Israel were captive in Egypt for 430 years. God heard their cries and uh, through a series of miraculous events uh, and plagues that God did for his, uh, to, to release his children. He brought them out of captivity, and now they're in this wilderness. They're in between captivity and the promised land that lay before them, spoiler alert, a long time from where they are right now. So they're in this wilderness, and they're grumbling and complaining, and God is uh, providing for them. We saw last week, I believe, with the, with the manna and, and the water that God provided and the quail, and God is doing great things for them. And now, to, tonight, God is establishing for them what's called the law. He's giving them the Ten Commandments, and there are successive laws that he gives to his people, too, but we're going to start with the Ten Commandments and, and look at those in Exodus chapter 20, which is where you can join me if you want to follow along in your Bibles or your Bible app. We're talking about the path to life, and it's important for us to understand a few things before we look at these Ten Commandments. Uh, some people think that the Ten Commandments are irrelevant now, and, and I would encourage you to not adopt that. They are not irrelevant. We may relate to them differently, but they're still viable, and they're, they're uh, principles that God has for us to follow to help direct our path in life as well. A lot of times, too, people think, well, if I follow these Ten Commandments, this is a prescription for me to be able to, to be saved, to, to please God. And it's very important to understand that God gave them these laws after, after they were freed from captivity. I thought you were trying to tell me something. No? Okay. We have a code that if something's not right and needs to get my attention, and I just thought I was getting the code, so we're not. This is acoustic service. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So uh, it's important to understand that these are not a prescription for us to please God. We are pleased because God has chosen us and he's called us out of Egypt, and now there's a prescription for us to follow to direct our path, to keep us guarded. And we're going to see some principles that are going to come out in this uh, in these together. So if you look with me in, in Exodus chapter 20, I'll start reading and we'll, we'll go through these uh, one by one. And God spoke all these words and he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Again, this is the understanding that what I'm about to tell you is not to bring you out of slavery, but I've already brought you out. Now here's some things for you. And he starts off with the first commandment. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, this is really important because this speaks to a, a, a people that had lived generation upon generation, hundreds of years in a land of many gods. 
And, he, and God is saying to them, there are no other gods before me. I will not share my, my holiness and, and my name with anyone else. And so he's telling them, this is not a, a polytheistic world view. He's saying, there is one God, it is monotheistic, and I am this God. God demands loyalty from his people. And this is true for them, and it's also true for us as well. It, it, scripture refers to God as a jealous God. Now we hear that and we think, well, that's not right. Jealousy is a sin. But his jealousy is good because he actually has the right to be jealous. Because he's the God who spoke and created. He's the God who gave them life. He gave you life. He gave me life. And so he is worthy of that. Whereas a lot of times we're jealous and we feel like we own something or we have a, a say-so in something, and it's, it's not a healthy jealousy. God is concerned for our well-being, and so he gives us these Ten Commandments, and it starts off with the first one. It says, look, there's nobody comparable to me. I am the one true God. Remember this. And he goes on to the second one. The second one, he says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath it, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. There's that jealousy I was talking about. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That seems pretty intense, right? God is punishing the children of people who blasphemed his name. One of the things I would like to point out that in this, what God is doing is he's, he's showing affection and he's, he's wanting affection from us. He, he wants us to be a joyful people that delight in him. And he's saying when you chase these other things, not only is it going to rob you of that joy, but it's going to rob you of, of life. And it's going to take you away from me and it's going to, to distract you from the one true God and don't even make for yourself an idol in the form of anything and bow down to that idol. No, no image of me. I am the one true God. I can't be contained in these images. It doesn't mean that you can't have a picture on the wall or something that reminds you of who God is, but when you start bowing down to one of those things and, and finding, feeling like God's power is contained within that, now you're stepping off into idolatry. Let's keep going. God's jealous for his name. There's no other besides him. He's also jealous for, uh, excuse me, he's jealous for who he is. He's also saying, don't try to make anything in my image. And the third one is his name. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. You've probably heard this phrase, you're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain, right? Some of your translations use the word vain as well. The, the weight of this is built into uh, understanding that uh, we are not to go around wielding or attempting to, to wield the name of God to get what we want. So Pharaoh lived in Egypt, and, and what he did is he used his gods, his false gods, and his um, magicians as well in order to manipulate the circumstances around him. He used them for his glory, for his benefit, and God's saying, that won't work with me. You're not going to go around using my name in vain and, and use like a, a vending machine, if you will, to just push the right buttons and get what you want. I don't operate that way. 
And so it's not just like saying God or Jesus in an, uh, an unhealthy or unholy way. It's more than that. It's about authority. It's, it's about replacing God's authority and his, his sovereignty with mine, with me wanting to be God, with me wanting to use him for my circumstances. So again, this is about posture and authority and, uh, and also in using God's name, but it's, it's more than that. It's not just that. You can just say, well, I never use God's name unless I'm talking about God. That's great, but you can still violate the worst sin of this and try to put God at your bidding. That's the difference. Let's keep going. Number four. Commandment number four says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, not your Uncle Willard. Um, He just names a lot of people here, right? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. God rested on the seventh day, and he did what? He made it holy. He set that day apart. This commandment is... uh, We we, could spend a whole sermon on this one, about the benefits of taking the Sabbath, and also the fact that the Sabbath, we are not created to Sabbath, but the Sabbath is created for us. God wants us to rest in him. So it's not a a mandate that on Saturdays we can't work anymore, uh, what it is, is it's a, it's a guarding of our relationship to God. And I think this is especially important in New York City, and, and I don't want this to sound arrogant, because I've only been here seven years, but typically New Yorkers work really hard, and people work hard all over, and Texas and California, whatever, we have people that work hard everywhere. But here it's very easy for our, our job commitments to go from early in the morning until late at night and spill over in and through the weekends. Because some, some of our jobs we just can't put down. They, they stay with us all the time. And so when are you resting? When are you stepping back and just acknowledging the world is not spinning because of me? When do you step back and acknowledge the creativity that I have, the job that I'm doing, it's not all because of me. It's because God has gifted me with these things. When do you step back? <laughs> Make sure I hit something. When do you step back and just breathe and say, God, you can do more in six days than I can do in seven. In fact, God, you can do more in a word than I can do in seven days. I mean, we can really work ourselves into the grave and and, and, and find ourselves in a very terrible place to where we are just burdened beyond remedy. And God is saying, I want you to rest. I want you to remember that this is a day for your heart to rest in what I have done for you. And if you go back to the garden story in Genesis, the, the, the whole seventh day is, is, is set apart where God, it's a, it's a picture where you have day one, two, and three, and four, five, and six, and the seventh day is by itself. It's not connected to the other one because it's above it. And so what happens, God is saying, after six days of working on that seventh day, I want you to acknowledge that I am God. That's what, I'm, that's what you need to honor. I am God, and you're not. And that's a good thing. We want that. We don't want to be God, because we know we're going to fail at that. And it's healthy for us to step back and say, I am not the Lord. 
you are. And that's where sin entered the world. Adam and Eve decided they didn't want day seven to honor the Lord. They thought God was holding back on them, and they wanted to take the throne themselves. The first four commandments are specific in our relationship with God. We need to have a healthy relationship with Him. And these still apply to us in, in principled ways that we can talk about further in, in a few moments. The next verses are um, to do with our relationships with one another. So the first one would be vertical, our relationship with God as He's vertically higher than us. And the next six are going to be horizontal, our relationships with one another. And so if you have a healthy relationship with God through these first four, you are really setting the table for you to have healthy relationships with people. Because if that's out of order, if that's chaotic, these relationships with one another are not going to be grace-filled and peace-filled as well. These, these six verses, they talk about integrity, and I'll just walk through them quickly. Uh, the first one is, is almost a transitionary uh, Command commandment because uh, the first four honor God and the the fifth one says this it says honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you so this is a commandment that has a promise to it it's saying if you'll honor your father and mother if you will bless them and honor them then I'm going to bless you there are going to be benefits that you may not even understand that you're receiving, but I'm going to get some favor and some blessing over your life. And it, it'll look different for everyone else, but there's a promise to it. And so it's showing us the connection between God giving us blessing with how we treat one another. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. So if, if we are wanting God to bless us and we're being nasty to other people if we're living without integrity then we are wasting our breath it, it won't work because what we're trying to do is commandment number two we're trying to manipulate god and use him for our glory and god doesn't play that game and rightfully so so this is the first one that talks about honoring your father and mother and that could be a whole another sermon, too, because as you grow, you know, how do you honor your father and mother when you're a grown-up? And they want you to be a lawyer, and you want to be a, a Broadway actor. How do you honor them? Well, there's ways to do that. We'll talk about it some other time. The big deal is, in your heart, honoring your father and mother doesn't mean you always have to obey them. Uh, as a child, that is the prescription. You learn to obey as a child, but once you're an adult then you have to make choices about what God wants to do for your life, but you can still not do what your parents want you to do and honor them in your heart and in your actions. Amen? Amen. As a side thought, it's easy for us to look back as adults and say, my mom and dad really messed up in that area, and I want to caution you. It's okay to, to acknowledge things like that, but spend more time remembering the things they did right. Nobody's perfect, and I know my kids are getting older. Maybe that's why I'm thinking of that right now. It's got to think, man, they're going, to be, they're going to be out of the house in a couple of years, and I made some mistakes. <laughs> what are they going to say about me when they're talking to their therapist, right? So, uh, you know, daddy's jokes weren't always funny. <laughs> so, 
most parents really try. And uh, we can honor them even if we didn't have best, the good parents. Uh, some of us have parents that didn't try. And I'm sorry if that's you. Uh, but you, now you have a father who is perfect and who loves you. And even if your parents didn't honor you, by the power of God, you can show honor to them. Amen? The next five... The next five verses... Um, are very horizontal, and uh, this number six is pretty self-explanatory. You shall not murder. We discourage murder at Connection Church. If you're new here, uh, we appreciate you being here, and I hope that doesn't shock you, but we discourage murder. You may think, well, I've never, I've never murdered anyone. Um, Jesus talks about if you just have hatred in your heart towards people, then you're guilty of murder. Uh, there's another one, the next one. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is when you're physically intimate with someone who's not your husband or your wife. And you may say, well, I've never been unfaithful. And Jesus went up to it and he said, hey, if you've ever looked upon another person with lust in your heart, then you're guilty of this. The next one is you shall not steal. This is not a reference to baseball. I know it's playoff season. That's a different kind of stealing in baseball. That's okay. Stealing is taking something that is not yours. And God is saying, this is something you shall not do. Number nine is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. That means you're not supposed to be lying on people and, and saying somebody did something they didn't. And you really shouldn't be talking negatively about them anyway. And the last one is, you shall not covet or be envious of your neighbor's house. Uh, this is like a, a big picture, uh, not his wife his manservant, maidservant, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so that is, it's not saying, wow, I like your sport coat, Daniel. It's really nice. I want one like that. And I, I know, Lindsay's wanting, she likes my sport coat. But it's not saying that you see something someone has and you want one like it. It's the kind of life where, why do they have that and I don't? I deserve to have that kind of life more than they do. And that's an easy trap to fall into, right? When we see people, we're doing our best to live a godly life, and other people seem to be making it better. They have a better life, it seems like. They have the, the wife, the kids, the car, the job, all those things. And we think, why not me? I deserve that more. Well, that, that, now we've stepped over into coveting, and that's a very unhealthy place to be. So the big thing for us to understand uh, in these Ten Commandments is, is that it deals with a proper relationship, a path to life for us to have a good relationship with God. And then it deals with us having good relationships with one another. And then after this, they're going to a lot more uh, laws that get included and um, to help them have a healthier life as, as Israelites. And, and you may think, it seems kind of weird, but I keep coming back to this. This is new for me. I've never preached through Exodus before, but I've developed this a really deep sympathy because I haven't gone through it so it's just sympathy for Israel I, I, I realized you know it was probably hard for them to, to go from only knowing slavery to now being free it had to be really difficult because someone was always telling them what to do somebody was always giving them orders and now they're free and so God is giving them a path to life he's saying this is a prescription for you to follow to honor me and to honor the people around you. And it's a good thing. So the Ten Commandments aren't restrictive, but they're, 
they do restrict what we're supposed to do, but they're there to bless us and to put us on the path so God can pour out blessing upon blessing in our lives. So if you want to look in your folder, worship folder, there's a, uh, a sermon outline. I'll go through these quickly and just talk briefly about them. You know, the Ten Commandments are, are not just laws, but they, they reveal to us God's path to life. And uh, number one on the list there, uh, the way we can look at the Ten Commandments now and help us process them, number one is the law proves we are guilty. One of the things the Ten Commandments does is it proves that we are guilty. If you're taking a trip, which a lot of us did this weekend, we, we took a trip to upstate, and you plug in your Google Maps or whatever system you use, you plug in a destination, but you also have to plug in what? Your starting point. Before you can go to where you want to go, you've got to start somewhere. And one of the big ways we as a world miss it is we think that every person is innocent. But what God tells us is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the starting point is not that we are born innocent, but we are born with a propensity to sin. And we are, we are guilty of sin. And so when we don't start in the right spot and we try to go to a destination, we're not going to have the proper path. And so this sets the table because we can look at these Ten Commandments and say, well, I've messed up on that one and that one and that one. I would imagine if we looked at this hard enough, we could probably figure out where, I'm going to say most of us, if not all of us, have broken all ten of them at some point. Unless you're like three. I don't know if you're three years old if you've done it. But basically, for all of us who are older, we could probably look at these and say, yeah, if I've not broken all of them, I've broken some of them for sure. And so it proves that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that we are guilty. The second one is this, number two. So it proves we're guilty. The second one, the law, so it proves we're guilty. And the second one is it provides a healthy fear of a holy God. It provides a healthy fear of a holy God. In this chapter 20, if you read through it yourself, you'll, you'll see that when the people, after he gave the Ten Commandments, it says, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance. They're like, I'm not going over there. That's powerful stuff. And so when we look at this and we see God proclaiming, I am the only God and no one is worthy of, of, of worship besides me, it helps us understand that this God we, is a God that we should absolutely be terrified of. If we were to see him, we would have that Isaiah chapter 6 where, where Isaiah, a righteous man, sees the vision of God and he says, woe is me, I am undone. He's like, I'm a dead man walking because I have, my eyes have seen the glory of God. He is a hugely powerful, that doesn't, that's not good English, I know, but he's great, he's, mag, he's magnificent in his glory. And if we were to be in his presence and fullness, it would command, it wouldn't suggest, it would command our utter reverence and fear. So it gives us a, a healthy fear of a holy God. Now what we know from the gospel is that this powerful God doesn't wield his power in, uh, in an evil way. He uses it for good things, and we'll talk more about that in a second. This powerful, holy God 
is the only reason you and I have breath right now. He is sustaining us. He is giving us life. And this law provides a healthy fear of him. Number three, the law provides healthy boundaries of protection. It provides healthy boundaries of protection. In, in verse 20 of chapter 20, so 2020, Barbara Walter's favorite verse. He says to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. So that's the people telling Moses, you, you, you talk to God because he's too big for us. And then you tell us what he said because they were afraid to have him speaking directly. And then verse 20 says, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. And so this, these boundaries of protection are there so that we have this healthy reverence of who God is so that when we're tempted to go away, we shouldn't go and do something we shouldn't do. It, it, it hits us. Wait a second. God is huge. And if I choose to go on this path, there are going to be consequences for it. God says, I want you to understand how big of a deal this is. It's such a big deal that if you choose to go down the path of sin, it will cost you your life. It's such a big deal that because you've chosen to go down this path of sin and you are guilty, that it's going to cost me my son's life. That I'm going to have to send him. And eventually, he's going to be the one who will die in your place. And so it's a healthy protection for God's people. It's boundaries of protection. It's, it's lanes to run in so that you know when you bump up against the, uh, the, the, the wall, you know, okay, I need to come back and be more centered because I'm getting in an area I shouldn't go. And so it provides boundaries of protection for us, not to suppress us, but to protect us. Number four is this. The law points to our need for Jesus to write God's law on our hearts. This law points to our need for Jesus to write God's law on our hearts. More than what we need, more than we need to have the Ten Commandments posted up for us to look at and make sure we follow, we need something greater than that. And we, we need a new covenant. We need God to come in and to write His law, His complete law, on our hearts. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 8. And this is talking about the, the new covenant. So God was establishing a covenant with his people of Israel. And he was giving them the law. And eventually, through Jesus, this new covenant, or this, this covenant, became obsolete. It was replaced by a new covenant. Doesn't mean we ignore it. Doesn't mean we don't learn from it. Doesn't mean there still isn't truth and principles within it. But there's something bigger and better that God has replaced it with. And in chapter 8, verse 7 and following, it says, For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt." Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them, my laws, on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will, I, will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete in aging will soon disappear. So the Ten Commandments have been given to God's people. And I think the way I would summarize this part as we prepare to respond in just a moment is there was a covenant that God said, I want you guys to follow these laws. But what did Israel do? They they broke them, right? And so God did something that should encourage us in great ways tonight. He created a new covenant that wasn't built on your obedience and my obedience, but it was a new covenant that was built upon the obedience of the Son of God, where Jesus became man, and he obeyed all the way to the point of death on a cross. And because of what he did, now that covenant is a promise that will never be broken. You and I are living under a fantastic new covenant that says, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you grace. And all you have to do is turn to Jesus. It's not about you proving yourself. It's not about you, you know, following all these commandments and, and being the best Christian It's about simply turning away from your sin and turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my covenant. You are the one who is my promise keeper. I don't have to worry about my covenant going away because I'm disobedient. Jesus holds it secure. But I do have responsibility on how I live within this covenant. God has great plans for his people. And if there's one thing that I've learned specifically uh, recently through this scripture and and through other scriptures that we've been talking about um, in smaller settings is that God cannot wait to bless his people. He loves to bless you. And the way, the quickest way for us to step out of receiving his blessing is for us to start doing things our own way, to ignoring God's directives for us, his commands for us, to, to step on to our own path instead of following the path that God has given to us in life. And so tonight, I pray that you will kind of take some next steps in, in your life and ask these questions at the bottom of this list here. These next steps, you can ask yourself, am I a, a sin or a slave to my sin? Am I, am I still in Egypt, still doing the things? Am I still going back to the things that I know I shouldn't? Or maybe you're a sin to your morality, what does that mean? That means that you feel like you're a really good person and you're following all the, the rules and now you're, you're a slave to your morality because as soon as you mess up, you're going to fall hard. And if you keep doing well, you're going to fall hard by thinking God owes you something. So we can become a slave to sin or morality. You can have other gods before Jesus. You may not bow down to an idol, but if your heart is directed towards something, other than Jesus, and you love that, if you can imagine your life without Jesus, but you can't imagine your life without 
this or them, that is an idol. What boundaries in your life has God continually, continually put in your life that you keep bumping up against and even crossing over and you just keep ignoring it? That's, that's your, your path to life that God has, has for you, is that he wants you to step back onto his path, to follow him, and he wants to pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing in your life. That's the path to life. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray tonight that you would cause us to, to love you in a, in a new way, that we would see you as, uh, as you truly are, as a God who, um, who loves to bless his children. And tonight I pray that we would not be resistant to the directives and the commandments that you have for us, the, the guidelines in our lives. I pray that we would embrace them because we know that everything that you are doing, you are doing for our good. We bless you and we thank you for giving us a path to life ultimately through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.